From WNET in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to another special edition of WNET Up Next. Broadcast journalist Connie Chung recently joined WNET's President Neil Shapiro for a wide-ranging conversation reflecting on Asian Americans, which is the five-hour PBS series that offers a new perspective on the ongoing role of Asian Americans in the nation's history. Born to a Chinese family in Washington, D.C., Connie talks with Neil about her upbringing, her life experience, and some of the highlights of her long and distinguished career. I'm so delighted to welcome our next guest. Connie Chung has done everything you can do in television news. So glad you're with us. Thank you, Connie. Happy to be with you. So let's talk a little bit about your childhood. You were born in Washington, D.C., a year after your parents immigrated from China. What was your childhood like? My parents came in 1945 with my four older sisters, and I was born in 1946. We grew up in a very, very Chinese home. We spoke Chinese and English at home. My mother cooked Chinese food, and we all had chores. My sisters would help with the cooking. She didn't have a washing machine. She had to wash on a washboard and hang the clothes up in the backyard. My father worked seven days a week, so it wasn't easy. But we were a big, happy family. We didn't associate really with any uh, white people. We had what I would call Chinese parties. And <laughs> we, my parents would invite young people over to be with my sisters because they wanted them to marry Chinese men. So we would have these Chinese parties that were dance parties. And since we didn't have a lot of money, we would have a picnic or go to the local amusement park. But, you know, Asians weren't allowed in certain parks on certain beaches and at certain uh, areas of picnic grounds. So it was pretty clear to us that it wasn't an ordinary American childhood. So Connie, when did you first start to have more interactions with white people? When I went to school. When I went to kindergarten, just about all the kids were white. There was one, I think a female from India and maybe one guy from Asia or something. But really, it was all white kids. I mean, I could already speak English, although my father could read and write English. My mother could not read or write English. In fact, when they got their citizenship, I was about nine years old. And I helped teach my mother how to read because she had to go to have an immigration test. And it was truly through the kindness of an immigration officer that he let her through because my sisters and my father were all getting their citizenship and he just he had a big heart. Thank goodness. It was a big day when they got their citizenship. Of course, I was already an American citizen because I was born here. The reality is, Neil, I always knew and was proud of the fact that I'm Chinese. I never thought of myself as a hyphenated person, Chinese hyphenate American. I knew that I was Chinese. I know that I'm Chinese. I'm proud of it. But I also know that I'm very Americanized and I'm American and I'm proud to be an American. Let's talk about your entry into the working world, into journalism at a very different place. First, the newsrooms itself. I can't imagine there was a lot of diversity in those newsrooms. You're absolutely right. There was one woman and there was one African-American male, and that was it. It was truly a sea of white men. And then when I was covering news, 
in my first big job, which was uh, CBS News in Washington, D.C. I was a correspondent for Walter Cronkite's CBS Evening News, the Walter Cronkite, the venerable Uncle Walter. And I covered Capitol Hill and the White House and the Pentagon, the State Department. Everyone was a white male, truly. There was a smattering. There were a few women here and there, but honestly, it was all white men. So, Neil, you know what I decided to do? Just how, how would I navigate this, I thought. I decided I would perceive myself as a white male. Now, you think to yourself, that is very strange. But uh, I just decided that, you know, as I looked around the room, everyone was a white male. And I, I thought, well, I'll just be a white male, too. And I will approach everything the way they do, with a lower voice, speaking up dealing with anything as a male would. I had so convinced myself that I was a white male that when I'd walk by a mirror or a storefront, I'd go, because I'd see a Chinese woman staring back at me. And I thought, really? I had a, a potty mouth. I'm not especially proud to say that, but it was my MO. I would throw a racial slur or a, a sexist slur at them before they could do it to me. I could never tell if they were saying things to me and was kind of denigrating me because I was a woman or because I was Chinese or because I was young or because I was inexperienced. I mean, I had all that going for me and I just had to, you know, sift through it and sort of plow through it and swim through it and try and keep my head above water. I know you're, you use humor sometimes, but inside it must have been incredibly painful. You know what, Neil, I think you know how we all become when we're in the news business. We become wizened and tough. And I think I really had to do that. You know how it is. When you cover news, you see the underbelly of society. You see death and plane crashes and train crashes and poverty like I had never seen before, because I grew up in a very, very sheltered Chinese home. I know that my parents were tough because it wasn't easy when they left China, even though my father left because he was an intelligence officer and in the diplomatic service. But still, the escape from China was horrific. So I think I, think I grew up with some toughness. I didn't go home and cry. I really didn't, but I'm not a crier anyway, because there's no crying in baseball. You know, you just, <laughs> Tom Hanks knows that. Connie, you've covered a lot of stories in your life. Any ones that stay with you that are particularly inspiring? The stories that really touched me or made me the happiest were the stories in which I could affect change either a government wrong or societal ill. And it wouldn't be because I advocated a particular viewpoint. It's just that I brought something up that caused the world to sort of wake up to it. I'll give you a perfect example. I was the first person to discover that breast implants, silicone breast implants could cause immune issues for women. The FDA commissioner at the time was David Kessler and he saw it on television. He called me the next day and said, 
this is incredible. I'm going to look into it. Thank you for your report. He called Dow Chemical and believed our reporting, our investigative reporting. And the upshot was that Dow Chemical had to stop making silicone breast implants. That was action. I truly appreciated because I felt these women were suffering greatly. Another one was there was a civil rights murder back in the uh, 60s of a, a black farmhand. The people who killed him were members of the KKK. It went to a state murder trial. The people were found not guilty. But then we found out that the murder occurred on federal land. So because of our investigative report, the, uh, the key person who killed him, black farmhand, was arrested by the FBI, indicted, convicted, sent to prison for life. I thought to myself, boy, I've finally given this family some peace and justice, really. It was justice at last. I did enjoy my political reporting the best, and I think the most memorable story was Watergate. Watergate was the story of the decade. We all tried to break stories. We didn't know as much as Woodward Bernstein did, but we tried our hardest. And I remember being there on the night that Richard Nixon resigned. It was a peculiar scene on Pennsylvania Avenue. Inside, it was like a funereal. Outside, people were celebrating. But it was government at work. And what I was most proud of in those days is that the members of Congress had incredible integrity and the Republicans stepped up to the plate when they realized there was unlawful behavior by a president. They joined in the impeachment process, causing the president of the United States to resign. Connie, we talked about your pioneering days as a reporter, when you were perhaps the only Asian American in the newsroom. Now there are so many Asian American broadcasters, so many women, my wife among them, who are inspired by you. How does that feel to know you've inspired generations of people to find their way into broadcast journalism? It really blows me away. I, I didn't think of it that way. I was just plowing through, trying to be a good reporter and trying to make a living and trying not to get fired. The reality is, is that my father had a heart attack. He stopped working right about when I was like 26, 25, 27, I don't know. And I ended up being the sole support of my parents. I supported them financially and emotionally and everything you can imagine. So I had to have a job. I know you're being modest about the number of women you've inspired, but do you also feel like how great it is now you can watch TV and see a lot of people who are Asian American, that it's no longer an exception? Yes, without question. But I'm a greedy person. When I look on weekends, I see the Asian women, I see the Asian men, I see all the minorities. I mean, I see them during the week, but I really want more. I want to see more Asians throughout the system, behind the camera, in front of the camera. I will tell you one thing, Neil, which just struck me as so incredible. A woman who works for a website, a news website, called me one day, and her name is Connie. And she said, I was named after you. And I soon discovered, because she's a reporter, that there were zillions of girls, baby girls, named Connie in the 80s. Their parents named them Connie. She said, after you. And I, it, what a phenomenon. We laughed about it. She wants to do a documentary on it. I think that's wild, don't you? 
Let's talk about the series we're watching and, and the stories about Asian Americans. You know, I think people have a, a short memory or they never knew. They don't really know or feel the discrimination that we have felt over the years. We all know about the Japanese internment, but I don't think it really hit home until years later, which this documentary addresses. I think we all know about railroad workers, the Chinese railroad workers, but we don't really know what they truly experienced. And I think this documentary tells us that. I think the stereotypes of Asians need to be dispelled. This particular year, there have been slurs against Asians in which we have experienced grave physical and verbal abuse, which hurts me and hurts all of us who I think are minorities. We all get it. And we wish society would be less divisive. There are now more charges about discrimination directed at Asian Americans following the COVID crisis. Are you surprised by that? I am actually, uh, because I thought, I mean, I was hoping we had gotten past uh, that kind of hateful behavior, but it was shocking. I was appalled when someone sent me Chung flu, and I thought, oh, very funny. But that's probably because I've seen these things regarding me and slurs for so many years. But when I realized that the China virus tag and that particular slur was affecting people in terms of physical and verbal abuse, I was horrified. I mean, truly horrifying. It seemed as if these people were lying in wait for a moment to, to jump out of the bushes and engage in such, such ugly behavior. But something has happened to our country that deserves me terribly. Either it was all there and we didn't know that it was emerging out of the bushes and finally it's brought forward or it's been just spurred on in some way or another. I don't know, but, or I don't dare say. But the fact is, I think all of us want our peaceful country back. You know what someone told me, a fellow who is part Asian and part American, he's part Filipino and part American. He said his mother, who's been living here, is an American citizen. For the first time, she said, I don't feel so welcome here anymore. And she's an older woman and she's always felt welcome. Oh, that's so sad. So very sad in her later years that she doesn't feel Welcome. I guess part of the value of a, of a documentary like this, it reminds us that these feelings are part of our history. They're not coming out of nowhere. They're a part of who the country is. Yeah. We are a country of immigrants. I think with Asian Americans, it's a little different because we're dead ringers for being foreigners. And when people look at us or at me and they say, where are you from? They really mean, what country are you from? They don't mean... What state are you from? You know, some Asians really take offense at that. I assume what they mean, and I, I kind of let it go, and I say, well, I'm originally from China, but I was born in Washington, D.C., and blah, blah, blah. But it's really sad, because then we Asians take on this feeling of not being like everybody else, and in many ways we are, in many ways we aren't. I always say to Asians, embrace what you are. Be proud that you're Asian. Be proud you're Chinese, because I'm proud I'm Chinese. I always thought it was a cool, wonderful thing. But I'm also proud to be American. Connie, as you look back over your career, as we talked about, there's been ups and downs, but there seems to be a trajectory that overall 
the country's moving in a positive direction, at least we like to think so. When you look at your career, do you look back and think about where you started, the woman who's the only Asian American in the newsroom, and see where the country's moving? I think if I took news in a vacuum and said, we're just talking about news, if we're just talking about news and the racial equation in news, I would say we as Asians have made a great deal of progress because I see people who look like me on the news all the time now. But I'm still itching for more women in the news business. I'm still itching for more minorities in the business. And I'm still itching for not only in news, but in corporate America, on boards, in law offices, in hospitals. Any corporate entity still does not have enough minorities and women as leaders. You can look around, you see it very quickly. So I'm not twiddling my fingers or sitting there saying, oh boy, oh boy, we've made it. We are not at a level of parity yet. We have a long way to go. Particularly racial issues have creeped along and then had a setback. That's the one that concerns me the greatest, the racial division. It's frightening, it's scary, it's wrong, just plain wrong. So Connie, you've been a journalist your whole life. You've told stories your whole life. So the power of story, I know, means something to you. If we just do a little survey or throw statistics at you, we don't really get the picture. So what you have done, what a public broadcasting has done with the Asian American documentary and with everything else you do is you tell wonderful stories. That's what we love. We love stories in books. We love stories on television. We love stories that our parents told us about their lives. This documentary is about all of the parents that I had, generations going back, and what our experience was. It's enlightening. It's worthy of everyone's time. And I think only PBS can do something like this. Connie, it has been so great to have you, to hear your points of view. You're a friend of the station. Thank you for making time today. My pleasure. You've been listening to a special edition of WNET Up Next. WNET President Neil Shapiro in conversation with broadcast journalist Connie Chung. The PBS series Asian Americans is available for streaming on 13 Passport. Join us again soon for our next edition, and please share your thoughts with us at upnext at WNET.org. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design, On-Air Promotion, and Fundraising Department of WNET New York. Special thanks to our guest producer, Terrence Taylor, our audio engineer, Josh Broom, and our executive producer, Dana McBride. I'm Tom Stewart.